Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am merely Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. I was sick a week ago. He is sick now. So Yay. we're going to be focused. We're going to get through this damn thing. Um, yeah. We've got a lot to discuss, my friend. We've got a lot to discuss. We've got a Cotton Bowl that was mm-hmm. played on a Friday night in December. Um, I'm going to be completely candid with you uh, and we'll be very honest and tell you that I fell asleep in the third quarter. It was not because of um, an alcohol-induced coma or anything of the like. It was rather because I was so sick and exhausted that I legitimately passed out, fell asleep about halfway through the third quarter when the score was 24-7. to So I DVR'd the game, and I was doing radio the next day in Cleveland, and I said, you know what, I'll jump up in the morning and I'll watch it on DVR and see what I missed. And of course I cheated because you can't DVR sports that you care about. So I got online, and I saw if I missed anything. And I saw that the final score was the same as it was when I left. And I said, well, maybe I didn't miss much. I really didn't miss much with this game. Turns out all the action was early. My quick impressions are you and I and every single person who knew a half assault about this Ohio State roster and that USC roster said, how in the blue hell can USC block that front? And the reality is they could not. Right. And we all saw it. And they were just overwhelmed up front. And Darnold was pressing, which led to turnovers, which led to the win. I mean, his four turnovers, the four turnovers by USC are the difference of the game. Ohio State's offense does does nothing. I mean, they do nothing in the game. Right. So the Ohio State defensive line is the MVP. And um, and an Ohio State defense that got better and better as the season went along, shined bright against the guy who's going to get picked in the top five in the NFL draft if he decides to come out. Yeah. It was, I mean, look, the defensive line, it's interesting because usually you're like, okay, all these units got to be, got to be five strong. Got to make sure everybody's doing their business and doing their part. Like, no, you just can, you really just need one really badass defensive line and you're good. And that's really what happened. You didn't need anything else. Like it, I mean, honestly, like USC was gifted a touchdown. And if that it doesn't happen, literally the defense just win the game by them. That could have been seven to nothing. And it would have been mm-hmm. fine. It would have worked out. Yeah. So th- to me, I mean, the game itself was just, it was, it was a hard game to watch overall. It's I think it was dreadful, it, wasn't it? Yeah. You get into the third quarter and you're like, this is, I'm, I'm good. I think I'm good. Uh, but watching the defensive line just straight up dominate was, was fun. And that unit, you know, the, they're super deep. They're not going to be like that next year. And they're going to be great. They're going to be very, very good. But, um, yeah, it was it, that was probably the most entertaining part of the game. Rest of it, I could probably leave. Um, I I would not yeah. say that I was super invested probably after halftime because you pretty much knew how the game was going to turn out after that. So I'm I'm with I th- I found this to be a bore. Yeah, <laughs> frankly, I mean I thought <laughs> I don't want to be too negative. Totally you know, I don't want to be no, negative. The win against USC and JT's last game, but it was not. Yeah. I mean, it was like a it was like a mid October, late September game against an out of conference opponent that you know how the outcome is going to be by the middle of the third quarter like that was pretty much it and it wasn't didn't have any drama i mean you didn't so do you think that is a product do you do you think that that seeped into the players conscience yes i do and that that was the other thing i wanted to bring up because i felt coaches hell yeah yeah, i felt like by by the second half everybody on that field was like you know what this is an exhibition game (laughs) we're not getting let's just get this thing over with that's right that's how the coaches coach too it was like look we've got house money I mean, they went for it on fourth down. I, that was one of the last plays I saw. They went, Ohio State goes for it on fourth down, doesn't get it. And from then on, it's just like, okay, house money. Like, let's just, right. let's salt this thing away. We're not going to do anything. I mean, the Ohio State offensive approach um, 
was pretty offensive. Like there was nothing in there worth watching. It was just, it was really dreadful. And this was coming off of a 31 to nothing pacing a year ago to Clemson of which that will never happen again. And here we sit a year later and I don't know outside of the revelation that was JK Dobbins. I don't think the offense changed at all um, Mm -hmm. from a year ago. I mean, it looked the same. Um, I know that Ryan day and Kevin Wilson are smart guys and they're coveted and people don't want to hire him, especially day probably pretty quickly to be a head coach somewhere. Um, But it's just offensively, and we'll get to this, you know, a little bit later in the show that there will be changes that'll be forced, and mm-hmm. and we'll get to some of that. But but offensively, there's just not much worth watching this year. I mean, it was a really outside of the you know the comeback to Penn State is something we'll always have and we'll kind of hang our hat on. But aside from that, it was just a pretty depressing season of offensive football that culminated in a really unimaginative game plan against USC, um, a USC team that that teams not near the talent of Ohio State went up and down the field on at will. I want to take a little detour on that real quick, though, because I, you know, watching the, you know, the, the semifinal games last night, um, you know, and, and a lot of people were praising Lincoln Riley and the, and the play calling of Oklahoma in the first half. Yeah, and then it was brilliant. Wow, I mean, it was brilliant. They were that, that <laughs> tunnel screen that they called was unbelievable. Uh, I think that scored a touchdown or at least got a critical first down. I forget exactly how it turned out, but it was a great play call at an amazing time. They, they were just going all over the field. It was amazing. It was a really cool thing to watch. Uh, and then in the second half, they got way too cute and they didn't produce any points really. And they didn't get as many yards as they were getting. And I, I just think it's really interesting because it feels like there's never, like it's so rare that you have the balance of taking risks, doing a lot of creative things and not going too overboard versus we're going to play trestle ball. And it, it's weird because the one time that we always go back to where it seemed like it was in perfect harmony, where you were doing the things that you needed to do, but you're also taking risks was that run in 20, you know, 2014, 2014. Yeah. Right. But that's, but I'm trying to think of a college football team in general, where I have seen an offense that is consistently just like brilliant. And it's, it's a, such a rare thing. Like I think Clemson had that a little bit uh, last year, but you know, it's it's just such a rare thing that doesn't pop up very often. And and part of me goes like, I want that Lincoln Riley, like take chances and we're doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, but I also want to win. <laughs> and, well, and so I don't know what the best solution is. I don't really know what type of offense I want Urban Meyer to, to produce. But, you know, I do what I accept flashiness at the sake of, you know, at the altar of, of wins. I don't know. Well, so. I tell you what I think it is. I think that um I think that when Ohio State is significantly more talented and th- this isn't any revelation, but when they're significant right. more talented, which is, you know, if they played 14 games this year, probably 11 of the games are significantly more talented than the opponent. Sure. And in those 11 games, Ohio State is flashy as all hell and they're fun to watch and they spin it around and they take chances and they do things and they explode. But when they play like opponents, Urban turtles up a bit. Yeah. And this is three years in the making of this. Of There's a lot of Jim Tressel to Urban of win <laughs> the surest way. And unlike Tress, who win the surest way was run it with your tail back three times into the middle and punt and play the field position game, Urban Myers win the surest way is I trust my quarterback most and he's going to go get a win for me. Right. And when your offense is in the three or four times a year when you play like talent or two or three times a year where you play like talent, when your offense is uh, determined to be win the surest way is the quarterback with the ball in his hands, 
and the quarterback is in the hall of really good and not in the hall of fame or hall of great, (laughs) then your offense is limited. And that's not JT's fault. It's urban's fault because it's the way that he decides to call offensive football. Um, But that's the reason that you have what we had against USC. It's the reason that we had what we had against Oklahoma and uh, even the loss when he, the loss to Iowa, when he chases games, he relies too much on the quarterback, and for the last three years, primarily that quarterback has been JT Barrett, who is a really great college football, really good college football player, but he's not somebody that you can put an offense, and it shouldn't be asked of him because no. it's not who he is. He's a distributor. No, he's exactly. not a game-breaker in any way. His arm is not a game-breaking arm. His feet are not game-breaking feet. Um, so yeah. when, when you mentioned what Ohio State's offense was at its best was 2014, that's because Cardale Jones was the quarterback right. in those three games. And they changed the way they played offensive football. And because of his ability to sling it deep, and it's not just him. I mean, that team also had Mike Thomas and Devin, uh, Devin Smith and Evan Spencer and Jalen Marshall and Dontre Wilson. I mean, so many weapons. Oh, by the way, Zeke Elliott, all these NFL <laughs> offensive linemen. Like, it's the most talented team ever. But they were best with Cardell because of his ability to throw it down the field which forced guys back off the line of scrimmage. So they're going to have to change the way they go offensive football. Nothing that happened in this Cotton Bowl, for those that are critics of JT or the offense, this changes your mind none. I mean, right. this is just, just <laughs> confirms your worst fears about what Ohio State is offensively. I wanted to touch on one other thing about this game, and that was the backlash from Denzel Ward sitting out from fans. Oh, man. It is very important that you hear this and hear it accurately. If you're listening and you're somebody who says that Denzel Ward screwed his teammates, I assure you, I assure you that every coach on that roster of consequence and most of the players of that roster of consequence, perhaps all of them, knew that Denzel Ward was not playing in that game and they've known for weeks. For weeks. If you believe that that kid two minutes before kickoff said, I'm out and sprung it on Urban, you're out of your mind. I'm telling you it's wrong. They've all known, they've known for a very long time that Denzel Ward wasn't going to play in that football game. And there's all these people that think this kid screwed his university or his team, which is just nonsensical. Um, His commodity is his body. This is a game that meant nothing, and he salvaged his body so that he can be the first cornerback off the draft board. And that's what he came to Ohio State to do, was to get ready to play in the NFL. He's done his job, they've done their job, and now he's going to go make his money. Johnny, I had people saying, because I said whatever, I, they, like they lost all respect for me, and I'm like, first of all, I don't even care. But you don't have <laughs> any idea, like how long people have known about this for weeks. He didn't spring it on him two minutes before kick in the Cotton Bowl. I promise you. No, I can't. I can't imagine that he would. I'm but telling even, you, he didn't. But he, even if he did, like I don't know anybody on that team who would begrudge a guy who's going to be a first round pick to want to take care of himself before making millions of dollars. Like, I don't understand that if, if you've got a job that's contingent on you being healthy and you can make millions of dollars because you're healthy, like I would wrap myself in bubble wrap and put myself in a padded room and not let anybody look at me or talk to me for like four weeks before I get that job. Like that would never happen because I want to get paid and I yes. don't blame him at all for doing what he did. I mean, we've had, you know, Bradley Roby didn't say that that's what happened. I think that's what most people believe probably was the right. case, that he wasn't really right. injured. Yes, um, I agree. And and frankly, like, I don't think, I don't know. I think a lot of the people who get mad about this stuff, I understand that, the, you know, they, 
they feel about Ohio State and in, in, in a very strong way. And I don't, I think that's authentic. But honestly, like put yourself in that position. If you have the opportunity to make millions of dollars and really the only thing you need to do is avoid getting hurt beforehand, I think you would probably make the same decision. I don't know that a lot of people can honestly say that they would be like so hyped about it. Now I and I get it. And I don't and I don't blame anybody who is going to be in the first round who does play. I, I think that's their own personal decision that they have to make. But yeah, I can't I don't I, I don't understand the mentality of anybody who would dog on Denzel Ward for doing that. And and I wish him all the best. And I think he's been a great player for Ohio State. It's one thing if you're sandbagging it during the season, you know, you're like, oh, right, I'm just gonna right. we'll we'll go about 65% in this game. You know, I don't really want to get too banged up. That's not what he did. He went all out, he had a great season, um, yep. and he deserves every cent that he's gonna make in the NFL. So yeah, this isn't like a Jadavian Clowney type of thing. This is this is a dude who understood what the situation was. It's a cotton bowl. They really didn't need him. And that obviously was was shown on the field. So yeah, I, I have no animosity towards that dude, and I don't understand anybody who would. Yeah, I, I have heard from people that I trust uh, what everything that I said that they've all known for a very, very long time and that they've gone, they went to pretty great lengths to make sure that he didn't have to talk about it and nobody oh, else sure, did either. Yeah. And, and that was the way that it was. It opens up a can of worms because now it's happened here. It was inevitable that it would eventually. And let's remember what happened to Jalen Smith in the Notre Dame, Ohio state fiesta bowl in 2015, because mm-hmm. that cost that kid millions. Now he had an insurance policy and he ended up getting drafted in the second round. Will he ever be the player that he was when he was going to be the first, you know, first linebacker off the board, top five pick. I don't know. Um, but some kids don't have that foresight and this is their one shot and you take it. If you know, so the stuff I saw was just so vitriolic. It, wrap your head around things a little bit, you know, like it's, it's yeah. a game on a Friday night in December that really means nothing. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it's a fun thing for us to watch and root for. There's no national championship. There's, it's just a bunch of nonsense. So like, like, let the kid live and let him go represent the school in the NFL, which is what he came to do to begin with. Right. Um, all right. Still to come, we'll take a quick look into the crystal ball for next season and spring football. But first, a look back at 2017 and the idea of expectations. But first, we encourage you to check out the dry goods store at 11warriors.com. All sorts of goodies there for you. Um, I know that many of you have probably spent your big money, but there, there's always a time to get some new gear and some new bar stuff. And what, what else we got going on in there, Johnny? I know you're, you're, you're dialed in on that stuff. There's more <laughs> stuff than I am even speaking of. But uh, I know that we do the stickers. We got the T-shirts. We got sweatshirts. We've got uh, barware. Um, yes. Lots of, did I miss anything? I would say I, I just like I'm always a big fan of the hats and considering that it's, you know, like negative 500 degrees outside, like we're approaching absolute zero in Ohio. Like I would I would recommend maybe uh, checking that maybe. stuff out. That would be a good thing to get. Yeah. Uh, all right. Absolutely. And with that, uh, the 2017 season is completed. For two years that you and I have been doing this podcast, we have said that this is the season of JT Barrett. Well, it ended up being the two seasons of JT Barrett. Yeah. Um, in a way, he defined both of them. In a way, the records are reflective of about who he is as a player, which is uh, a guy who can get you to the base of the mountain and damn near, boy, can he get you there in style. Um, I kind of said what I said earlier about him in in terms of the position that Urban puts him in offensively and that it's probably not a fair position for someone of his skill set. It does not mean that I do not appreciate what he has done, which is incredible. Um, His longevity in the position, the stats that he has accumulated, the wins he's accumulated, no one's going to touch any it, any of it. 
the leader he was, it will never be questioned. A three-time captain, you'll never see another three-time captain at Ohio State. But this was really, this season especially, uh, this was a senior quarterback coming back. And this, to me, this season will probably go down as a mild disappointment. I heard Sam Darnold, uh, or not Sam Darnold, uh, Sam Hubbard, rather, postgame say, um, you know, we go, we'll go down as one of the great teams in the history of Ohio State. And I'm sure the coaches told them that after the win to make them feel good <laughs> about what they had accomplished this sure. season. But no, Sam, you will not. Um, and that's a product of what Ohio State is and the expectations um, of national championship or bust. And it all changed in 2014 when Urban Meyer won a national championship in year three. And it set the bar that that is what was to be expected, that you would be battling Nick Saban for national championships every other year. And it hasn't come to fruition. And and so um, I think this season at 12 and two um, with the losses, the way that they were in a Cotton Bowl win, well, it can be both a good season and disappointing because of the expectations. And I'll tell a quick story and then I want to get your thoughts on this because you, you've been around it and you lived through Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I continue to live in the Cleveland area and we have LeBron James here. And, right. and so when LeBron James is on your basketball team, if you don't win the NBA championship, it is a disappointment because that's the expectation. And so the Cavaliers have played in the finals three years in a row. They've won it once. The other two years they were bounced. And those two years they were bounced, you're, you're left disappointed and empty. And it's because of the standard that he set, that you have to win a championship or it's disappointment. And the same is true of Ohio State football for fans, um, that, that it's national championship or bust. And so for many, I think this will feel like kind of a ho-hum season, um, but many of them do not have the perspective. I would also say that your age probably dictates how you feel. If you're over <laughs> a certain age, you might feel a little bit different. If you're under a certain age, you're probably a little spoiled uh, yeah. with what you've gotten from your Buckeye football. Well, I was thinking about this because, I mean, first of all, I think the loss to Iowa, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I think, I think if that doesn't happen, I think people have a lot of different perspective on the season in general. Cause that really is. Yeah. We, it's an every time we talk about the season, general, that that's probably the worst loss I think I've ever seen in terms of Ohio state football, not necessarily in terms of importance, but just by just complete embarrassment and how bad it was. I don't think we've really fully wrapped our heads around how insane you're right. that loss is uh, for a lot of right. reasons. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking this season reminded me a lot of 2009, I think. Um, okay. Where you've got a team that's really, really good in a lot of ways and maybe not so great in other ways. And, you know, you have a decent, you know, regular season. You, things go pretty well. You know, you, you, you beat Michigan. You go to the Rose Bowl. You win the Rose Bowl. But you feel like maybe that team could have accomplished more. Um, and... Like I, I look back on 2009 really fondly. I mean, when the Rose Bowl against Oregon, that was an incredible game. Oregon was yeah. seen as a hot shot team, and I think all of it. I mean, you basically said it. I mean, a lot of it's about expectations and what you would hope that a team is is capable of accomplishing. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it goes to the idea that you just want Ohio State to basically be like Alabama, and mm-hmm. Alabama is in the national you know championship pretty much every year that's what it feels like and you would hope that ohio state would be able to get to that level i don't know that that is realistic for a number of reasons but um yeah i just that's what the expectation is when you don't have that especially when you feel that there's enough talent on the team to get there 
then that's that's frustrating. And I can understand why people may look at this season as a missed opportunity. I would also probably ask people to be a little bit more realistic about the talent that's on the team, because I think if you compare the talent on this team to 2014, I don't think it's even close, especially no. at the skill positions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see why people would look at this as kind of a disappointment. On the other hand, some of these individual moments during the season, like the Penn State game is one of the best games I've ever watched, period. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Now, yeah, that was, I'm not ever going to forget that. That was absolutely amazing. Um, I thought, you know, a bunch of other moments that, that JT Barrett had and individual players had in games of just domination was really, really fun to watch. I loved watching the defensive line just get after people. Uh, so individual moments i'm not going to be disappointed in i think i can be disappointed in the overall product though yeah i i think um i think 2009 is a fun comparison i i think what hurts um i think what hurts a little bit if from an ohio state perspective is is while this team is not as talented as 14 or certainly 15 where you know it was really probably opportunity lost it, it wasn't right. as talented as those um what it what it is though is you watch clemson play on Monday night, or you watch Georgia and you say, maybe not Georgia as much, but you watch Clemson play and you say, we would have appointed ourselves better against Alabama than Clemson did. Oh, sure. Um, and, and you say, you know, because the, you know, that's the thing about this year is there are no great teams. I mean, Georgia's going to play Alabama for the national title, right? I don't, yeah. Georgia's fine, but I don't think Georgia's no super team. They're, they're nothing great. I mean, Oklahoma, for all of the wizardry of Mayfield, and we talked about Lincoln Riley earlier, um, they just blew it in the fourth quarter. But um, for all of their brilliance, they're terrible defensively. Like, there are no whole teams. Alabama is not what they've been. They're fine, but they really can't throw the ball with any effectiveness at all. So this season was there for the taking a little bit. And I think that's what stings if you're a Buckeye fan. Is is that this season was there for the taking? You did not take advantage of it. Um, this this Barrett's career is done. He will never take another snap for Ohio State. I will appreciate him as a leader, and I, we've been over this a thousand times. Um, but I'll be honest with you. We're going to talk about it here momentarily. The best thing for Urban Meyer is for it to be over, mm-hmm. and for him to reassess what Ohio State football is going to be offensively. And for them to reevaluate the way they go about their business, because for three years, they've basically said, well, we have JT and we trust him. So that's going to be the way we win football games. And now they're going to have to go in a different direction, no matter which quarterback they pick. um, They're going to have to go in a different direction. And I think that will energize uh, certainly the the roster. And I think it will re-energize Urban Meyer and force him to remember what it's like to dream up new concepts. They've been running the same stuff now for three or four years and, and it'll be good for them to kind of figure out a new way to go about their business. So I'm, I'm glad that this era is kind of done. I think that, that this is the last kind of the last holdovers from the national championship team are now gone. 2013 recruiting class is gone. Uh, There are none of them left. And so, this will be a, a clean slate for the program and for urban. And I think from a, you know, just from what we do, you know, in terms of talking about and observing Ohio state football, this is a breath of fresh air that's coming our way because this will be starting almost from scratch offensively, certainly from scratch. Um, but this will be a big, this will be a big turning of the page to me. Like this book, the book of the, 
2014 national championship season and the carry over the last three seasons, that book's closed. And, and it's, this is going to be a brand new book that's going to start and it'll start in the spring. And um, we're going to get to that coming up next, but before we do, I want to encourage you to follow the 11 dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes. Um, when you talk 2018, my friend, it's quarterback, two things, it's quarterback and it's leaders. Number one. Okay. Number let's take number two first. Who's going to lead this football team. Right. I mean, Billy Price, Tate Martell, they like seven captains are gone, right? I mean, they're all gone. Well, they've got seven left, right? Like they had like, you know, half the team. So really amazing though to think like, you know, you could say really since Braxton, I mean, there's been solid leadership lineage for, I mean, JT Barrett's been a three-year captain, so he's always been a leader, but you know, who leads this football team in 2008? So that's the, that's an enormous thing in terms of who are the vocal, vocal leaders, who are the new personalities with the team take on those personalities. And then of course at quarterback. And, and I will just say this as we sit in early January, 2018, that I do believe that this is a two horse race. And I think the two horses are Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell. And I do believe that urban Meyer will give Tate Martell every opportunity to win this job for the simple fact of as much as you hear Urban Meyer talk about a quarterback who runs, one of these guys runs it very well, and the other one does it adequately well. And I have a hard time thinking he's going to want to change his offense to suit the kid who does it adequately well, which is Haskins. So then let me ask you this, because where do you think Joe Burrow fits into all this then? Because I don't think he does. You think he just transfers? Uh, he just. Yeah, I think I think from what I've heard, I've heard Joe is um on pace to graduate at the end of the spring semester. Yeah. So, I think he'll probably play it out sp- through spring football and then he will go he'll graduate and then I believe would have 2 years of eligibility left. So, I think that's probably what will happen with with Joe Burrow. Uh Haskins, I mean, we've seen enough to kind of know what he is and it's elite arm talent. Uh, but he's not a read option guy. He can do it, but that's not where he's at his best. And Martell is is very much a read option guy. He's very much, you know, in the Barrett Braxton Miller mold. I mean, that's very much who he is. And I think that note of him practicing with the first team in December, especially, you know, coming on the heels of the news that Emory Jones is not going to come to Ohio State, I think puts a lot of pressure on the staff to keep that kid happy. And even if he doesn't win the job, I think they will have all sorts of packages for him next fall that uh, keep him involved in the game plan and keep him involved in the program because he has no loyalties here. I mean, he's got none. I mean, he could transfer at any point. It doesn't mean anything to him. And he's not the type of kid, I don't believe, who's going to sit around, you know, the next two years and waste his redshirt freshman and redshirt sophomore season watching Dwayne Haskins play. I just don't believe that. And I agree with that. But what I would say and, and what I think what I think they have to think about is because you do, I mean, Haskins is a known commodity. You know what you're getting with him. And I think he has the ability to be very, very good. I mean, he's not this guy who can be instantaneously, you know, an All-American or anything like that. But I think over time, you know, he's going to evolve into an incredibly effective quarterback. But to me, if you are going to give Tate Martell a shot, or even Joe Burrow, if he ends up staying or whatever, if you want to stick with the running quarterback thing, these guys have to come in and be immediately effective because if Tate Martell is not the next Johnny Manziel or whoever, then you don't want to waste a season trying to find that out because he can't. My biggest problem with Tate Martell, we, we talk about, you know, how small he is and stuff like that. If he can't 
compensate for that lack of height and size with his innate athleticism and be able to score points with that athleticism. You don't want to be in a situation where you're doing a back and forth like they did with Cardell Jones and JT oh, Barrett no. and, and try to find your guy halfway through the season. So in my opinion, give him the shot, let him, let him, you know, show up in spring ball and, and do everything you can to let him show his talent. But if that's not immediately evident by the time fall camp starts, I think you got to go with Dwayne Haskins. I don't. I don't think you can waste time trying to let one guy beat out the other guy in a game time situation. Make your choice at the beginning of August and stick with it because I think it's a disaster, especially with new guys trying to figure out who you want to be your dude. And and more importantly, and this is something that I'm really worried that's going to happen. They may try to split the difference and say, "All right, well, we're going to do a little, you know, Tim Tebow." Uh, yeah. situation with uh who was the i can't he's, I'm, the name's escaping me chris well. Lake. yeah chris Lake. chris Lake. I, I would i would be furious if they think that's the the situation that they can handle we're gonna have you know Dwayne on these passing downs we're gonna have tate on these other downs i would hate that i think that would be horrible for both their development and i don't think that would work so early august pick a dude ride or die and otherwise and in my opinion, frankly, like I don't, I don't, like, I think Tate's a great talent. I just don't think he's that dude. I think Dwayne Haskins is eventually going to hopefully be the guy uh, that they can go with because you've already got to do is establish some rapport with some of the wide receivers. I just think that's the smart play. Absolutely. It's hey, Haskins has the talent. I mean, he's yeah. got like NFL arm strength. So, I mean, he's got all the things that it will force them to change the way they go about their offense. Martell really has them in a tough spot because of them not landing Emory Jones. And you heard a lot after that about how, well, there's no room. They really didn't want him. It's not, that's nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. That is nonsense. Yeah, not you do not recruit a kid for two years and then say, yeah, we're kind of soured on him. No, he wouldn't give you a commitment. So you had to go in another direction, but you held that scholarship for him. And if he would have said, I'm going to Ohio state, you damn sure would have taken him. And what, what Emory Jones was, was he was insurance um, for, for the, he was the future. Either him or Tate was the future. Now, in the situation they're in, if they go with Haskins and Martell says, I'm out of here, you are left in a precarious spot, yeah. big time, at quarterback. I mean, in a really tough spot at quarterback. Um, so they, they, the pressure on them uh, to keep Tate Martell happy is going to be immense. And even if Haskins wins the job, I mean, you saw this year with Oklahoma, like they had some packages for Kyler Murray, um, mm -hmm. the talented former you know, number one dual threat quarterback in the country, went to A&M and then transferred to, to Oklahoma. Um, I think you'll see a similar package for Martell to where he's involved. Like he has to be involved in the game plan or they risk losing him. And I, at this point, it's just too big of a risk. Um, they, they can't. So I, I think they'll do everything in their, in their power to give him a shot. I agree with you. To me, Urban has to know who his quarter. He doesn't have to announce it, but he's got to know who his quarterback is on day one of camp because right. he's going to have kids who's got to get He can't be doing this timeshare crap for two weeks, three weeks, no. fall camp. No. You know, you got spring football to figure it out. You've watched these kids long enough. Haskins has been in the program forever. Like, let's 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 let one of them go and let's see what they're all about. But it's going to be fascinating for us. I mean, we haven't had one of these. This is even to me more fascinating than 2015 because 2015 we knew who those guys were and we knew the pressure that was around the quarterback position. This is kind of a footloose and fancy free quarterback competition. I mean, neither one of these guys are known commodities. They don't they don't have the resumes that Cardell and JT had at that at that point. Um, sure. We haven't really seen much of either one of them. 
So um, I, I'm fascinated by that. I, I think it'll lead to a very intriguing spring and summer and fall as to how this thing shakes out. And and you want to talk about leaders. Both these guys have big personalities, and yeah. either one of them could be major leaders on this team if, if they win the job. And well, I, I don't mean to dismiss Joe Burrow. I just kind of feel like that's what's the way it's going to shake out. Well, Joe, Bur- look, Joe Burrow is the is an option here. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily a good idea. But if you're like, you know what, we want the guy who's been here the longest, and you know who can essentially yeah. run the same offense. Good. Yeah, he could be the guy. I mean, Joe Burrow is the basically the guy who could do what JT Barrett did. Like he's the guy who's capable of running that offense um, because he's got very similar skills and, and frankly i think he's a better runner um so if yeah. they really really didn't want to pull the trigger on a new offense and they really didn't feel confident in like revamping what they do then maybe he's their their safety net but i don't again i think that would be a poor decision i think he's given the fact that he's almost out of the program i don't think that would be a super smart move for them because i don't know how you keep haskins and martell happy um Oh gosh, but, yeah, you know, people are going to be happy. Well, nobody's going to be happy. Gonna be but, crazy. Yeah. Well, I, be I will crazy. say, I think this is going to be a lot more fun in terms of like a quarterback competition than deciding yeah. between Cardell and JT because that was like, I mean, that was choosing between two guys that you, you know, you like both of them. I mean, they're both great dudes, and you want to see them succeed. In this case, I'm not saying these guys are bad dudes, but you don't really have the same kind of attachment to a Tate Martell or a, you know, no, Haskins no. that you did to Cardell or or JT. So. I don't know. I mean, for the for the Game of Thrones memes, I mean, I'm I'm cool with Martell. I think that would be fun. Uh, for the for the fun slinging stuff, I think, that would be asking. I think either of these guys would be an interesting pick. Um, yeah, I, that's, it's just going to be a great storyline going into spring ball. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I think it's and I, I do. I, I agree. I believe what I said earlier that I think it'll re-energize everybody, including your head coach. Oh, sure. Because uh, no matter who they go with, they're going to have to re assess a lot of things about right. what they're going to be going forward. So uh, a lot to look forward to with, with Buckeye football. We have some time for some ask us anything. my friend. You got any for us? Yeah, you guys can ask us anything. Uh, send us a uh, Twitter question at 11 dubcast, or you can send us an email question uh, to dubcast at 11 warriors.com. Let's start with uh, Twitter here. This is from Joey. Joey's got a set of questions for us. He's going to start with this. Um, so, at the time, the Penn State comeback win was mo- one of the most incredible high State games I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Looking back, it's kind of lost some juice because we uh, didn't make the playoff. How do you feel about that game? So in retrospect, do you think that Penn State game has lost any of its luster because of what happened afterwards? It hasn't for me because I, 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 I can separate. I know what he means that, you know, that it won't go down as like this Pantheon game you're going to remember right. forever. And that kind of goes to what I was talking about with Hubbard's comments about one of the great teams in Ohio State history. Well, no, you're not because you didn't win it all. And <laughs> that's what the program is judged on, right? right. So right. Um, it's not going to be one of those games that you're going to remember forever. I mean, you're still going to remember it forever, but it's not going to have the, the warm spot in your heart as it would have if, if Ohio State's playing on Monday night, right. you know, and you have that type of comeback. So I do see what he's what he's saying there, but in a vacuum, you know, on a, on a Saturday night, that's still as good of a college football game as I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, I was at the, the 2006 Michigan game, you know, the one V two game. And even though neither team played their next game very well, and obviously things went really bad for Ohio state, uh, that's still one of the most incredible environments I've ever been in my entire life. I'm not going to forget that. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I think I don't, I understand. I agree with you. I understand what he's saying, but to me, you can still kind of put these things in a box a little bit and go yeah. by itself. This is still an incredible thing to watch. It doesn't have to have, I think, meaning in this large, grander scheme of things to to still be memorable because I mean, there's been a lot of games where I'm like, okay, this game may not necessarily mean much, but I'm not going to forget this. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, Kenny Guyton coming back against Purdue is still one of the funniest things Guyton. I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I was, <laughs> I was crying because I was laughing so hard at the end of that game. Like yeah. I, right. that was hilarious. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Right. Um, you know, just there's tons of games like that that I just are really memorable for me personally that didn't have a whole lot of meaning, but because something really awesome happened. Um, I remember there was a revenge game. I think this was in 2005 against Iowa because Iowa had beaten the crap out of Ohio state the previous year at Iowa. So maybe a little deja vu for next year. Right. um, Right. But uh, they came in, it was uh, there. It was drew Tate came in and I remember, I think it was Bobby Carpenter sacked him at the end of the game and drew Tate just, lost his mind because he'd been he'd been harassed all game and he just spiked yeah. the ball after getting sacked he was so mad and the entire stadium <laughs> oh they're all laughing at him like i'll never yeah. that wasn't a huge consequential game in the grand scheme of things but i'll remember that moment because it was funny and it was fun so i think you can look at these things like the comeback against penn state and go you know what that was awesome and regardless of what happened around it, that individual moment was just really, really cool. And I'm just going to keep reliving that because that was that fourth quarter by JT Barrett is the, is probably the best quarterback in performance I've ever seen in my life. That was insane. It's up there. It's up there. Yep. Yeah. So, um, okay. So he's got, uh, he kind of, I'm going to combine a couple of these questions here because I think this is interesting. Who do you think in terms of incoming freshmen or sophomores or redshirt freshmen, do you think are going to be really big impact players outside of the names like Dobbins, Aduka, or Akuda, excuse me, uh, and Young? Um, I think Baron Browning's got, or, he's got a chance. Yeah. You know, at linebacker, he's got a chance to, to, to be a, a big, big time player. Um, oh, let's see, boy, you, you, you got to get in a different mindset when you start thinking about that, about those right. guys that are, you know, that are coming out of nowhere. I mean, you know, clearly, clearly Martell, you know, he would be a name obviously, but I, I don't know. I just get a sneaking suspicion. There's a real good chance he wins that job. So, um, you know, those are both five-star guys that everybody knows, but you know, sometimes five stars are five stars for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I think. I don't know. I think that Ohio State is going to be really pleasantly surprised with some of these guys on defense in general. I think there was just a lot of guys who you could tell were really like just chomping at the bit to to get into the game to make a lot of, you know, a lot of impact. So I agree with you. I think I think uh some of the big name guys are definitely going to uh to pop up there but for me personally like i just want to see what's going to happen with the new guys on defense because i think on offense i mean you're going to see some of the playmakers that they just recruited some of the guys that are going to come in who are you know going to try to make an impact but i think they're going to try to stick with what they have so i think you're going to see more of an opportunity for some of the younger guys on defense to to step up and do some things so that should be fun um, i'm really heartbroken that trayvon grimes i know he had personal but i mean i i, I yeah. had heard such great things about him that I, you know, I was hoping that that you'd get. I mean, under personal, you know, family issues, you got to go. But, um, but I, you know, he was a guy that you you hope because that you know that that group has been lacking. 
you know, for playmakers. And so yes. I had heard that he was kind of maybe somebody. So, you know, disappointed to see that. But there's, I'll tell you what, if you're a playmaker receiver coming in, you're going to get every opportunity because there aren't many there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's true. I mean, they're going to want to find people who can actually like, you know, just, just kick it, especially downfield. I mean, that's going to be probably the biggest bugaboo in the off season. Um, okay. So this one here, this is uh since we just had the, the holiday recently, it's from our good friend, Alvin. Uh, he just wants to know our best new year's party story. <laughs> is this our kids listening to this? Say again. Are there kids listening to this? What's our average uh, age? I, man, yeah. I'll keep it PG. All right, so this is the. So I, me and my buddy, um, I would have been. This is my first year on television, so I would have still been in Billings, Montana. So, for perspective, I was on television in the town I went to college in. Okay. So, so I refer to TV celebrities bullshit celebrity, right? Like it's <laughs> you're sort of famous. You kind you kind of get some things. People know who you are. You get some stuff for free. Um, there's a little bit of cachet that comes with it that gets you in the door and so forth and so on. So new year's Eve, um, my buddy and I go to this place. We, we went single, but we had, there were prospects in the mix. And so a bunch of us go out. Well, there was a minor league basketball team called the Billings rim rockers that played, (laughs) uh, that played in Billings, Montana and uh, and they had rocker girls. Okay. So the rocker girls were uh, pretty damn good looking girls. And the rocker girls knew who we were because we were on television. And right. on New Year's Eve of, well, this was 99 going into 2000, I do believe. Um, I'm pretty sure. And um, so on New Year's Eve, we go to Desperados in Billings, Montana, and we run into the rocker girls. And they're single and we're single and they kind of know who we are. So I'll never forget this. Everybody's dressed up and my buddy and I are walking around this bar with two six foot blondes that looked like in retrospect, I am certain looked like, you know, they looked like porn stars. I mean, they were just big hair, big in places. And it was, you know, so I just remember like my college friends who are still in college looking at me like going, what in the hell have you pulled off here? <laughs> How have you done this? And in reality, like these girls were very gettable and they were, yeah. but the, the, the appearance of it was such that you felt like, you know, big in billings, you, man, you've really, you've, you've really knocked this out of the park. It, this has been a very good, uh, this is, this has been a good, good little career choice that, that young bull made at age 20. <laughs> uh yeah i you know what i that that's that's a pretty good one i uh i do not really have any good new year's eve stories unfortunately i'm I'm glad you have a good one because i don't um i typically have been kind of a homebody we went to uh me and my fiance went to a bar a couple years ago and the only real notable thing was that a uh a lady jumped up on stage and started rapping the entire fresh prince of bel-air theme song wow. in, the, in the bar sang along to that but that's it that's like that's like my that's the only that's semi-interesting nice. thing is typically i just kind of do a low-key like all right we're gonna watch yeah. this we'll probably fall asleep ahead of time um yeah we're just just not a big new year's eve kind of guy i i get more excited for halloween and those kind of yeah. adventures and i've had several halloween adventures 
Um, but yeah, it's not not really not really a New Year's Eve thing. I'm not really a New Year's Eve guy. Maybe I need to maybe I need to find more interesting things to do in Columbus. <laughs> well, go to Billings, time. Montana, and see if you can find a rim rocker. That was <laughs> that's really well. The- yeah, that's funny. Is. You know, I haven't thought about that in about 15 years, so I'm glad that he asked the question because I have not thought about that night. But I'm telling you, we felt 10 feet tall and bulletproof that I'm night. I'm sure you did. And like, the other thing is, though, like, like I was like, really was, got it going on. I was talking to my fiance. I was like, hey, you want to go out, you know, on New Year's Eve? You want to go out and party a little bit? And we're like, yeah, maybe. And then we look at the forecast and it's like negative five degrees out. And they're talking about don't get too drunk because you might freeze to death outside in a gutter. And I'm like, right. What? Man, I'm just stay inside. Maybe, maybe well, wait till you, I don't know if you're going to have children, but if you ha- if you do, if if you're blessed with them and you can, and if it's something you want, I my 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 wife and I have not made it past to midnight in six years. So <laughs> I mean this 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 year I was in bed by ten o'clock. So yeah. usually we watch BBC and get London's New Year's. Oh, there we you just, go. We that's New Year's Eve for us. Like there's right. no way I'm getting to midnight. No chance. Yeah, I yeah I think uh, I think you know as a thirty what I'm almost thirty three. I'll be thirty three in about a month. Uh, I think that time has has passed for old John yeah. Getter. So. It's all done. Yeah, all done. <laughs> and that's ask us anything. So continue to send in those questions. Uh, you know, it's the off season, so I want to hear some off season questions. Let's do it. Oh, Absolutely. by the way, yeah. Bo, before we leave, I don't know if you have gotten the chance to check this out, but you you did you watch the uh, Outback Bowl with uh, Michigan and South Carolina? Parts, not in its con- entirety. Okay, let me ask you this because this is really the only relevant part of that. Um, were you pulling for the Bloom and Onion team to win or the free coconut shrimp team to win? <laughs> I would always root Bloom and Onion. Of course, I don't you would. Know coconut shrimp is disgusting. I don't know why anybody I, would. No, I don't even know why it's on the menu. I, mean, I don't either. But honestly, uh, anyway, so if you have not seen this and people listening to this, this goes for you as well. If you've not seen this, uh, so South Carolina represented the Bloom and Onion, and of course they won as Michigan blew a lead, as is their wall. Right. And um, Jay, or excuse me, uh, DJ, our good friend DJ Burns, decided that in honor of South Carolina's victory over Michigan, he was going to try his free Bloom and Onion, and he has published a review of the Outback Bloom and Onion. And in, in light oh, of has. blowing a bowl game on our website. So if you go to lookforce.com, <laughs> you can find a very, very good uh, field report from DJ Burns about going. Oh, that's to fantastic. Abax well, I will do that as soon as we're done here, then. It's pretty great. That's, a, that's about the perfect recipe for success is DJ doing a blue and onion review. I mean, that's pretty solid. Yeah, it's good. All right, buddy. We will uh, we'll be here next week. Same bat time, same bat ch- channel. I will talk to you then, bud. Yep. Talk to you then.